put yourself in this position. You're out there, you're living the dream behind the wheel, powering through the endless autoclave that we've come to know and love as the long hot Australian summer. You're in your ute, you're towing your chitois, you're uphill with the hammer down, and everything's looking rosy. Then you risk a glance down there at the reader you've got connected to the OBD2 port, and it tells you that the quote-unquote water in your radiator is 95 degrees C. At the very least, this is dogs and cats living together, is it not? And at the very worst, it's incipient three-mile friggin' island, isn't it? So, do you reach down and hammer the panic button or not? I'm John Cadogan from AutoExpert.com.au and I get new cars Utes, plenty of utes for, you know, Dingo Piss Creek visitation among them. Website, card. Now, here's the problem, right? We're going to talk about more than you've ever wanted to know, perhaps about thermofluids, thermodynamics, heat exchanges, things of this nature. This is the proper ghetto engineering, beer garden physics chat about all of that. And it also highlights the problem when you've got too much information and not enough interpretation of all of that data. That's next. This report is sponsored by NordVPN. Now, I'm not a hardcore IT guy, but I've heard enough, especially recently, about data breaches, scams and hacks to know that being online can be inherently risky and costly. You don't have to be tech savvy to use NordVPN it's a simple one-stop cybersecurity solution. One click and you are protected from hackers, malware and pop-ups across as many as six devices. NordVPN is the world's fastest VPN. I don't even notice it running in the background, frankly. And it only costs about as much as a cup of coffee to keep your data, your identity and your devices secure every month. NordVPN can also save you money because you can assign your virtual location to another country where, for example, flights and accommodation might be cheaper than they are back at home. The same goes for streaming services and you can access live sporting events and other content that may not be available where you actually live. It's a pretty small price to pay for cyber security. Not to mention the potential savings also on the table. Go to nordvpn.com slash AEJC to get a huge discount off your plan plus four months free. Totally risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nordvpn.com slash AEJC. Link in the description. And thanks to Nord for sponsoring this episode. So I got this by email from a dude named Blake Nicholson. Blake-o, Nico, B-Nick, whoever, who says, I bought, I don't think he speaks this way, it's, it's just boring to read it straight. I bought a MR Mitsubishi Triton after how highly you rated it for good value. I see. So this is obviously all on me then, Nico. I've had it for a year, and although I'm happy with some aspects of the vehicle, I'm really disappointed with the cooling system. Okay. 
I'm not able to tow 2.2 tonnes up a hill without the coolant temp spiking. Say so you start on the hill about 80 degrees halfway up your... Apostrophe RE, Nico. Try to keep up, son. You're at nearly 95 degrees before I have to drop a gear down and slow down from 90k to 60. <gasps> These temps are read by a scan gauge and also verified by my snap-on scan tool. Yeah, and I bet they're telling you exactly the same thing, Nico, because they're really only just reading the data that's coming off the car. They'll all read the same thing. This is like hooking up a different monitor to your computer and expecting the pornography to look different. Like, we've all run that experiment. It just doesn't, dude. It's really disappointing. Is mom mates 26... Apostrophe S on mates, Snicker. Come on. Is mom mates 2016 N80 Hilux a car that's... Apostrophe S, dude. Come on. A car that's five years older than mine too can pull it on the same day up the same hill and it goes up to 85 degrees and then the temp actually comes down as you go up the hill. You'd be gutted. Gutted. Mates, older Hilux, seemingly performing better. Both cars have Iron Man bull bars and yes, I understand they restrict airflow. My bar is naked. Nothing on it. I'm sure there's a joke there, Nico. I'm going to try and keep it clean, however, except to say that, like you, I'm not wearing pants either on a day like today. It's just more comfortable. And no one wants to take your seat if you have to get up and do some, attend to something briefly. Yet, how can the Hilux not get hot but the Triton does? That's one of life's mysteries, isn't it? My opinion, the Triton's cooling system is marginal. The Hilux has a 26mm thick core and the clutch fan is even more efficient or locks up harder than the Triton's. Hate it when it locks up harder. Oh, I've since taken the bull bar off to test with factory bumper and yes, it does make it better. Gets to about 90 degrees, so still not great. But it is a four-wheel drive and I think the expectation of putting a bull bar on it... Not to, un not to be unreasonable, especially because I use a car in a country where the risk of a roost strike is rule. Yeah, I bet it is. But the thing about bull bars, apart from the airflow restriction, is obviously that they do exactly what they're designed to do, dude, which is protect the sheet metal of the car in the event of an animal strike. But the problem with this, of course, is that in a major collision that might kill you or your family... They make things worse because they can't do what they're designed to do without interfering with the way the crash sensor in the car determines the crash is happening and what the severity of that is and the timing, the really precise timing of the airbags and pyrotechnic pretensioners and all of that stuff. They can't protect the sheet metal without interfering with that and they're not making it better, do They're making it worse. So... Ball bars generally a mistake if you value your own life and the lives of your family over and above the life of your car when you hit a kangaroo. So there's that. I've taken my car to Mitsubishi in the stock trim and explained my problem. They stress tested the cooling system, apparently passed their test and pretty much told me there's nothing wrong, even though I've showed them the videos and so forth of it getting hot. Hottest I've had it is 102 degrees. Jesus, that's nearly... <laughs> is it not? Which if I kept going, it definitely would have overheated and I don't want to do that. 
Well, I think we can uh, all be on the same page with that one, Blako. None of us wants to overheat his car because nothing good happens if you do. He goes on and says, Is there anything I can do, John? I like the Triton, but it can't even tow its advertised towing, let alone 700 kilograms below it. That's actually 900 kilograms below it, Blake. 3.1. Do try and keep up. 3.1 minus 900 equals 2.2, which is what you said earlier. No other mods done to the car except for the bull bar, which has since been taken off, and an Iron Man leaf spring helper to level the car with the added tow ball mass. It's not necessary to do that. In fact, when you add load to the car and its suspension sinks, that's like a designed-in consideration, right? You don't have to have unladen ride height the whole time. It's actually dynamically beneficial for the car to sag a little bit under load. So I think that's a mistake also. I understand, he concludes, you have an MR Triton as well. Yep, I do, and I have towed a maximum of two tonnes with it on a reasonably hot day. Quite okay. Uh, don't be fooled by the factory gauge. It doesn't move till it's too late temperature-wise. So, here's the thing, right? In the modern age, in the information age, we can get all this information. In the olden days, you would have had to go and procure some thermocouple connected to a friggin' gauge, and you would have had to get the thermocouple into the liquid inside the radiator somehow, and then drill a friggin' hole in the firewall with a grommet and plumb the whole thing in and then get a hole saw and cut a hole in the dash for the gauge and then just hope that the gauge was accurate, blah, 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 okay? Nowadays, you just plug in and you get all of this data. And the data is quite accurate coming from the CAN bus, you know, it's pretty good data. The problem is, what do you do with it and how do you interpret it? And this is why scientific literacy is so important. So. What I'm going to suggest to you here is here's everything you need to know about thermofluids and thermodynamics as it pertains to the cooling system in your car and when to get worked up about this stuff and when not, okay? And it's kind of important to realise this, otherwise you're just going to be in Blake's position, you're going to be joining the dots and coming up with a completely different picture than the author of the dots had intended or adding one and one and getting three which is probably more like what's happening here right water boils at 100 degrees c at one atmosphere like the air you're breathing now at one atmosphere the boiling point of water is 100 degrees c that's when it changes phase from liquid to a gas and the bubbles of steam come through it when you're preparing a boiled friggin' egg. And the reason they can give you precise timing for soft-boiled eggs and hard-boiled eggs is because the temperature doesn't vary. As long as you're at one atmosphere, the boiling process happens at 100. But if you increase the pressure, you increase the boiling point, and that's the principle of a pressure cooker. You're boiling whatever is inside the pressure cooker, but because it's pressurized, you're increasing the temperature at which the water boils. So this is a factor to consider. And there's also the fact that the stuff flowing through the radiator is not just water. It's usually water and a mixture of ethylene glycol. And ethylene glycol has a couple of, that's a green stuff, right? Ethylene glycol has a couple of interesting properties. One of which is it reduces the freezing point. So instead of freezing at zero, it'll freeze at whatever temperature lower than zero. And 
if you've got a 50-50 mix, like a proper 50-50 shandy of ethylene, glycol and water running through your radiator, I looked it up. The boiling point at one atmosphere is going to be 106 degrees C, right? And if you've got 70% ethylene glycol and 30% water, it's going to be 113 degrees C because that's what it does. Ethylene glycol raises the boiling point of the mixture. So your boiling point, even if the system wasn't pressurised, would be 106 to 113, provided the shandy is between 50% and 70% of ethylene glycol. But let's just run with 50 for argument's sake, okay? And then let's talk about the pressurisation because the pressure of the radiator system with the pressure cap on top and functioning properly it's probably about 15 PSI, which is broadly one atmosphere. So what we're talking about is air you're breathing now at one atmosphere plus one atmosphere inside the cooling system. So two atmospheres, absolute. And you can look this up, Engineering Toolbox and a whole bunch of other online resources have a whole bunch of tables that will tell you the boiling point of water at different pressures. And this is kind of important if you're designing the cooling system for anything up to and including a nuclear power plant because it's a good idea to make the cooling system operate at as high a temperature as possible because it's more efficient that way but at two atmospheres absolute or one atmosphere above the air you're breathing right now which is the same thing inside your car the boiling point is going to be 121 degrees c that's for water, just pure water. So when you add ethylene glycol mixture and the pressurization, the boiling point of the water in your cooling system is probably closer to 130 to 135 degrees C ballpark. So I'd suggest that 95 is not on the cusp of Three Mile Island for your freaking engine. It's just not you've actually got quite a lot of safety margin above that, subject to the cooling system working properly, the pressurisation working properly, and you having the ethylene glycol mixture as per the manufacturer's specification. All right? The other thing I should tell you, just for completeness about ethylene glycol, is that although it does good things to the freezing point and the boiling point, like it's a range extender for the liquid phase of the life of water, it can be liquid at a lower temperature than if it was pure, and it can remain liquid at a higher temperature than at which it would boil if it was pure water. So it's this range extender of the liquid phase of the life of water, right? But water is spectacularly good stuff at picking heat up from there and moving it over there. And that's exactly why we use water in cooling systems, because it's so good at that. It's the best common substance for moving heat from this place to that place. Ethylene glycol, not so much. And if you want the numbers on this, it's 4.2 kilojoules of heat energy that can be absorbed by one litre of water and it will go up by one degree C. So that's, that's spectacularly good. Ethylene glycol, not so much. It's 2.4. It's actually 4.18 for water and 2.43 for ethylene glycol. So 
when you add ethylene glycol to the water in your radiator, you're actually making it worse at moving heat, but better at resisting boiling and freezing. So like everything else in engineering, the addition of ethylene glycol to a cooling system is a balancing act. And that's why it's really, really important to follow the manufacturer's recommendations when you flush a cooling system or if you have a problem like a hose burst or something of that nature, you can temporarily run your car on pure water. That's fine. It'll actually be better at moving the heat around, but there's the, the issue of galvanic corrosion that you've got to try and prevent and the other function of the, the liquid that's inside the cooling system is corrosion inhibition, okay? So don't run for too long on pure water, but a, a pure water as a running fix in the boonies, that's fine, okay? What I'm suggesting is if, you, if you're having trouble dealing with the difference between 4.2 and 2.4, it's kind of like this. If you're robbing Fort Knox, okay, and you've got two dudes and you've got to get the gold bars and run uphill, and you've got two dudes who you're going to use to do that, and one can carry like 20 gold bars running uphill at a particular speed, and the other dude can only carry 10 gold bars to run uphill at the same speed, then the dude who can carry the big gold bars, the big number, that's water. And the dude who can carry only the small gold bars, that's ethylene glycol. Only they're not carrying gold bars, they're carrying heat. And they're carrying it out of the engine into the radiator, which is a fucking stupid name because it doesn't radiate. Radiators do not radiate in any significant way. They're convective coolers. They rely on airflow. That's forced convection, okay? It's like you standing in the breeze. And on a nice hot day, a breeze is fantastic because it increases convective cooling on the surface of you, right? In the middle of winter, if you get wet, and it's snowing all around and a gale whips up and you can't get drier out of the wind, you're screwed because of convective cooling. You get hypothermia, which in extremis kills you, okay? So a radiator is like that. It's a forced convection cooling system, which is why putting a whole bunch of metal bars and winches, driving lights, etc., whatever, is a bad idea, especially if you're heading off to a really, really hot place, okay? So there's that. So I'd suggest that if you're Blake and you're driving uphill looking at your scan gauge and it's saying 95, you've actually got a safety margin. You don't want to go up to 135. Let's say you don't want to exceed 125, okay? You've actually got 30 degrees of safety margin still within the cooling system. And the other thing is the hotter that water gets on the way out of the engine and into the radiator, the more efficient the radiator becomes because there's this thing which is called Newton's law of cooling and it basically says that something loses heat at a faster rate when the temperature between that something and the ambient environment is greater, okay? So it's like, it's a hot day and you want to have a cup of tea and you want to have your tea with milk in it, okay? And you want to drink it soon because you're kind of thirsty. So when should you put the milk in, dude? Riddle me that. At the start of the process, cool it down quickly, or at the end of the process, just before you drink it. Write it down. Lock it in, as Eddie would say. The answer is just before you drink it. Because the rate of heat loss of the tea will be greatest 
if you don't dilute it with milk first because its temperature will be higher relative to the environment. So it'll be cool enough to drink quicker if you put the milk in right at the end, okay? As the water's coming out of the engine hotter, the, the radiator's doing a better job bleeding heat to the environment because the difference in temperature between the radiator and the airflow uh, that's passing through it is greater. And therefore, as the temperature in the radiator increases, it's doing a more efficient job losing heat. It's not a problem to run it at 120 degrees C because the specific heat capacity, like the ability of the water to pick up heat from the engine and transport it to the radiator, does not change provided the liquid does not boil. The hotter it gets, the better it's going to be at that. Okay, so this is the problem with information. Access to information, we've never had more. You've got to know what to do with it, and most people either don't get taught or don't pay attention for long enough at school to understand basic thermodynamics, which this is, okay? So what you've got to say is, is this really an, just an emotional problem that I'm having, or is it a real problem? You know, because if it's a real problem, it needs to be solved. But the temperature gauge is not moving. The temperature gauge is designed not to tell you what the temperature of the liquid in the cooling system is, but to tell you when it's dangerously high. That's its function. If it's not moving into the red, then guess what? It's not dangerously high, which is corroborated by the information the dealer is giving you, which is that they've stress tested the cooling system and it's perfectly functional. As to the difference between the Hilux and the Triton, the first thing I would do is I'd do this test and I'd make sure, like absolutely certain, that I'm maintaining experimental control, which would start with calibrating the speedos on both vehicles using GPS. Because if the Triton is going faster, like three or four k's an hour faster at the same indicated speed, then it's making more power because that's what power is. It's the time rate of change of work being done, okay? And if you're driving slightly faster up the same hill, you're making slightly more power, therefore the engine is generating slightly more heat, and therefore all other things being equal, the return temperature of the water out of the cooling system is going to be, like, return to the radiator temperature is going to be higher because the engine will be producing more heat, right? I'd also be absolutely certain that I was towing the same van, not just a van that weighs the same, because the aerodynamic, if you're towing two different vans, they could be slightly different weights. And even if you confirm that they are the same weight within a small variation, they could have different rolling resistance because of bearings or tires, and they could have different aerodynamic drag as well, both of which will substantially alter the amount of power required for them to do exactly the same job. So there's that. And then I'd suggest that if all of those things are standardised and you've achieved reasonable experimental control in practice, then the difference is just going to be the cooling systems of those two vehicles. But what is the problem again? Because one, two, uh, one, two, five, let's say we've got, like in Top Gun where they have a hard deck that simulates the ground, well, let's have a hard ceiling of 125, which would be reasonably safe for a cooling system to operate at. If you've got a hard ceiling of 125, both of those vehicles are substantially below the hard ceiling and therefore it is not a problem except perhaps emotionally between your friggin' ears, dude. So 
I'd suggest that this is why basic scientific literacy is kind of important, even if you just want to apply it to piss creaking adventuring, right? Because the data's there, you can look at it. The real skill is the interpretation of the data, okay? Um, I'd also suggest that this is not a trivial assignment because it's hot in Australia. It's like 35 to 40 degrees in many situations. You can be dealing with a tailwind which makes uh, convective cooling worse. And 2.2 tonnes of van is heavier than the unladen ute. There's that. Oh, the other thing about the difference in temperature is what's the unladen weight of both of the utes. You'd have to standardise that too. Otherwise, because if you're carrying three or four hundred kilos more worth of, or even two hundred kilos more worth of stuff in the Triton because it's more modern and it's got more standard equipment in it. The states of fuel might be different. If you're a heavier vehicle off the bat going uphill, then it's going to require more uh, total work to do that, right? more power to do that at the same speed, right? Because more po total work to get to the top. So there's all of these things to consider in the domain of comparative testing between the Hilux and the Triton as well. And I just suggest that this is a non-problem, okay? But I, I'm covering it off because people do this all the time. They look at the temperature of the transmission fluid and things of that nature. If you're really concerned about this and you're convinced that it's a problem, then put an aftermarket transmission cooler in, certainly make it a good one, get it professionally installed because you don't want to be preventing a, a hypothetical problem and causing a worse one when the transmission cooler fails. And the other thing I'd do is I'd make sure that the outflow from the aftermarket transmission cooler went back through the radiator because in winter, you don't want to do too good a job cooling down your transmission fluid because that will interfere with the viscosity of the fluid and therefore the shift quality and you don't want shit shift quality throughout the entirety of winter, do you? So there's that. Now, in breaking news, Blake got back to me after I got back to him and he followed up. So let's just cover off these last things, shall we? Blake says, <clears throat> thanks for taking the time to reply in such detail. I appreciate it immensely. You're welcome, dude. While I agree with you on most aspects, I'm finding it hard to find an answer why the Hilux was so much better at temperature control under the exact same conditions and bar work. Experimental control, dude. Most people are shit at it. And you've got to cover off all of those things. The speedo calibration, the unladen mass, or the operating mass of both of the vehicles without the van attached, make sure it's the same van because otherwise aerodynamic drag and uh, rolling resistance and things of that nature. And then make sure the driving is absolutely identical, right? That's kind of important too. So <clears throat> Blake goes on and says, I've taken the bar off and you are right. <gasps> Knock me down with a feather, dude. It did help by four to five degrees. Yeah, it's just the tip of the iceberg at how shit ball bars are. Not only do you risk your life, they make it harder for the cooling system and they're heavier so they increase your tyre wear at the front end and all to protect you from this 
kangaroo strike you're trying to avoid, which you could avoid 100% of the time if you just did a proper advanced driving course and learned emergency braking and evasive manoeuvring properly. Pro tip, I've driven across Australia, north to south several times, and across Australia from the westernmost part to Sydney once, and all other driving in the outback for three freaking decades. Number of kangaroos hit, big fat zero, because software upgrade. Everyone wants to upgrade the vehicle. They want to put on a bull bar. They don't upgrade themselves. It's insane. What do I really think? Blake goes on. The Triton still heats up even though the bar is off and I've had it up to 105 degrees on stray a day. Oi, oi, oi. 105 degrees is fine, dude. You're still 20 degrees below the hard ceiling. In the 38 degree heat here in Perth, towing me car trailer. It is a bit annoying and I, as I like my ute and I don't want to cause excessive wear due to high temps. I'm quite jealous of the Hilux being able to manage heat a lot better, even with a bar. Nobody likes being jealous of the Hilux. But I'd suggest it's kind of like this. There's no evidence that operating at between 100 and 110, 115, that's not going to increase your engine wear. It's like, it's just not. The thing that increases engine wear is when you start your engine dead cold. For those first 30 seconds, engine wear is properly shit, but at normal operating temperatures, like let's just think about the water temperature for a moment, shall we? Because the exhaust gas temperature in a diesel is like, 600, 650 degrees, often enough, especially when you're up it for the rent. Exhaust gas temperature kind of depends on welly factor. How hard is the welly into it, right? How high are the revs, things of this nature. But if you're up it for the rent, towing the chitois up the big hill, exhaust gas temperatures can be quite high. And you've got to think about what is actually happening. So you've got water flowing through the block and the heads, and its job is to be near enough to these high temperatures that are produced by combustion so that they can go and rob Fort Knox, except with heat instead of taking the gold, and then they're going to go and stash it in the radiator where ambient airflow can force convect the shit out of it and just bleed it off into the environment. So that water temperature is not really representative of how friggin' hot things actually are in an engine, the water temperature is quite tame compared with the rest of it, you know. Like turbochargers are really hot because they're close to the peak exhaust temperature and they're effectively a heat exchanger as well. I'd be surprised if there wasn't a couple of hundred degrees C temperature loss across a turbocharger because it's essentially converting energetic flow into mechanical work, right? Therefore, the temperature must drop across the turbocharger, right? Uh, I'd, I'd also suggest that when you think about the operating temperatures of an engine, the exhaust can be flowing at 600 or 650. Cast iron melts at 1,200-ish degrees C. So if you've got a cast iron head on a diesel engine, the exhaust temperature is at 600 degrees C, that is well below the melting point of cast iron. And you've got a cast iron sleeve in the cylinder, even if the engine block is aluminium. So 
there's no risk of melting anything at that temperature. It's well below the melting temperature. In fact, uh, steel iron loses its ferromagnetic properties at 770 degrees C. That's a, a common test for heat treatment. Am I at 770 or something, right? So you just put a magnet on hot steel and when it loses its ferromagnetism, you just go, okay, well, that's the temperature we're at kind of thing. So you're even well below that. It's a conservative operating temperature. What you've got to do with a cooling system is just make sure that it doesn't climb by virtue of being unable, the heat being unable to escape. See, the thing that kills engines is over temperature leading to failure of the parts. And temperature and heat are different things, right? What you're trying to do is remove heat to keep the temperatures of the critical parts acceptably low or acceptably high, whichever way you want to think about it. The mechanism for transportation is the water and the engine doesn't give a shit if the water is at 95 or 105 or 115 or 125 and it's probably okay for short periods at 130 but there's not much margin in it from 130 to failure. So aluminium, FYI, melting point of pure aluminium is about 660 degrees C and I'd be suggesting that they use some alloys that are probably pumping it up a little bit higher than that. See, if you put little bits of bronze or uh, copper or things like that in aluminium, you do raise the melting point a little bit. So there's kind of that to consider. I think that's a mechanism for raising the melting point of aluminium. And I'd be surprised if they didn't do that in cylinder heads in gasoline engines, for example. So anyway, look, I just hope this has helped you understand what's really going on in the domain of heat exchange in your car and if you're watching from North America and you're going it's the middle of winter dude it ain't down here it's like a billion degrees just out there right now and the humidity is like 120 and I fair dinkum wish I was in North Dakota right now.